I've entitled this message, um, The Cry of a Broken Man. You see, we come to Psalm 23. Now, this psalm is probably the most well-known psalm in the whole of the 150 psalms we see in the Old Testament. In fact, in the whole of the Bible, I will say that this passage is probably the best-known passage in the whole of the Bible. And when people read it, they automatically think of themselves when they read it. But actually, it is a psalm of David. David is the man who wrote this psalm. There's a songwriter called Carol King. And Carol King wrote songs for the Beatles, for the Drifters, for even for Aretha Franklin. And actually, Carol King had a life that was up and down, had marriages at work that didn't work. She had a life that was very, very difficult, but she wrote songs that other people sang. And this psalm is written by a man who had experiences in life. This psalm is written by a man who's gone through stuff, and he sat down and he wrote this psalm. And throughout the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this psalm and at the man who wrote it, David, and why he wrote the words he did. And so the first thing I want to say about um, this psalm is being known. Of course, the most famous words that we have is the first few words of this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing, or I shall not be in want. I often say to many people who know this psalm, that it is a personal psalm. This psalm is only for those who are truly born again. This psalm is only for those who are truly Christians, because David says, the Lord is my shepherd. You can go to many funerals, and I've been to one this week, and they open up a book, and, and everyone read, together as a congregation, this psalm. But the truth is, it can only be said by those who have a personal relationship with God. Well, how can I have this, you may ask? That's a good question. How can I know God as my shepherd? How can I say this psalm and really know the promises that this psalm has? How can I have it for myself? That's a great question. Well, the answer may not be too pretty for some people. Because you have to look away from yourself. Everybody wants to look at themselves. We've got men who, um, who, you know, who feel that they cannot look away from themselves. They can't trust anyone else because they themselves are the provider. They've got to provide for the family. They've got to be the hunter and the gatherer of the home. They can't look anywhere else because they've got to look to themselves. Women turn around and say, well, look at me. I've got false eyelashes and false nails. Look at me. And they like to get people to look at them. They don't want to look outside of themselves. But I want to tell you this morning, in order for this psalm to mean something to you, 
then you need to look away from yourself. Because yourself, if you look into your heart, we all will say there's things going on that's not nice. The Bible will call it sin and vileness and wickedness. You need to look away from yourself. Let me tell you two stories. There was a 15-year-old boy going back to 1859, quite a long time. But this 15-year-old boy, he used to go to church, sat in a congregation. But one Sunday, he was trying to go to church. He lived in Colchester. And he's trying to go to church, and, and it was a snowy winter day, like January. And it was snowing, and it was cold. And he was trying to go to church, and he thought he couldn't go to church, to his regular church. So he turned aside, and he went to a, a small little chapel in Artillery Road in Colchester and he went in there and and there was no one really there and he sat right at the back like you guys right there trying to get out really quickly he sat right at the back of the church sat there miserable despondent And the preacher got up, and he said in his testimony, the preacher got up, he wasn't a fine speaker. In fact, he didn't know what he was really talking about. But one thing he said, he said, in his sermon, he's preaching from Isaiah 42, and he said, look to Jesus, all ye ends of the earth. That's what his text was. Look to Jesus. And he looked at the back of the church, and he saw that young man at the back, and he said, young man, you look miserable. Look to Jesus. That's what he said. And the man who heard that at the back came alive. His name was C.H. Spurgeon, a great preacher. That was his testimony. But I had another testimony on Thursday. This time a man who's only 26 now, he's... um, but six, six or seven years ago, this young man was embarking in Dagenham. And embarking in Dagenham, he was a drug dealer. Embarking in Dagenham, he was a, a, a violent man. He was someone who was involved in crime back there in, in Dagenham embarking. But he told us on Thursday, he said that he went to sleep one night and he had a dream. And in his dream, he saw himself in the old Bailey. Him and three of his friends. And in his dream, he heard God says to him in his dream, you will end up in prison for life. He woke up terrified. But this young man had one good thing going for him. He had a mother who was a praying woman. So he went to his mum and he said, Mum, I had this horrible dream. I dreamt that I was in the bailey in the dark and, and, I, and I heard that, 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 that I was going to spend life in prison. It was a terrible dream. And his mum said to him, come to church. So he went to church with his mum and on that Sunday he became a born again Christian. Gave his life to Christ. Went home. Got rid of all these drug stuff, all these all his stuff, got rid of it all, got rid of all the fake money, got rid of all the clothes, got rid of all the stuff. Went to his friends and told his friends, I've become a Christian. You should come to Christian as well. Because I had this terrible dream that we was in a dock and, and, we, and we got life in prison. You should come to church as well. And they laughed at him. 
And he said to us on Thursday, two years went past Arthur's conversion. He opened the paper and he read in the paper three of his friends got 30 years for murdering a young boy in East London. This young man looked to Jesus Christ. Look away from himself. I had to say to him, you had a praying mother. You have a woman who was praying for you. I want to tell you this morning, we need to be a praying church. Because it's only God that can deliver. Not fancy sermons, fancy preaching, fancy music, fancy churching. No, no, no. That can't do anything. Only God who can deliver and rescue and save. We need to be a praying church. When people pray, God moves wonderfully in the hearts and lives of people. This man, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I've come to know him personally. I've come to know him as my God. I've come to know him as my Lord. He belongs to me. Don't talk to me about being your shepherd. I know that he belongs to me. He's my shepherd. What a wonderful opening line to that message. Well, David goes on because he too knew that he was a shepherd boy himself. The fact is, in David's experience, there was a time when a very important person was coming into David's town. He lived in Bethlehem as a young man, and a very important person was coming to Bethlehem. That person's name was Samuel. And Samuel was coming to Bethlehem, and when he came, the whole town got excited. In fact, this is what the Bible says about um, the time. When Samuel did what the Lord said, when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? That is how important Samuel was. He was so important. And then Samuel said, listen, I want you to have a feast and, 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 and bring Um, Jesse, David's father, and bring his sons, and we're going to have a big feast. And all the important people were going to be at that feast. Everyone that's important, everyone that had a name, everyone that wanted to be seen would have been at that feast. All were there, except for one person. The Bible says David was not there. David was somewhere in the field. What the Bible says, there he is. He said, so they asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. There he is, he's out there. Tending the sheep. He's out there, far away, looking after these unimportant sheep. Looking after these defenseless sheep. No one to talk to. No one important around him. He's sitting there by himself looking after some miserable, quiet, grass-eating sheep. That's where he was. 
nowhere of great importance. You know, very often life can be like that, you know, for a Christian or for a non-Christian. You can be going through experience. You could have an experience where you feel so alone. You can go through an experience where you feel that life is so pointless. There's confusion around you. You feel that in your very own heart, there's nothing to really live for. No excitement. Everyone's over there. The party's over there. The friends are over there. The fun's over there. But you yourself, you feel so alone. So forgotten. I know that experience. I was speaking to a family who's gone through that experience. Young man who just lost his wife and his father. And I speak to him, I can see the brokenness in the man's heart and life. So alone. Even though there's voices and people around you, you can be so alone. What you need to look at the character of God. The Bible turns around and says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Hallelujah. And he saved those who were crushed in spirit. Another verse over in Isaiah. Look what he says. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Sometimes life can bruise you. Sometimes life can hurt you. Sometimes life can come in and cause you so much pain and damage and hurt. And you seem that you're broken or bruised. In your life. But the Bible says that when God deals with you, He will not break you, even though you're bruised. No. He will not break you. He will not put out the small light that seemed to be smoldering, that little fire that seemed to almost go out. No, He will not snuff it out at all. But no, He will bring it out to a flame. You see, God is interested in the person who's sitting on their own. He will tend to you. In other words, he will care for you. He will nurture you. Even though the whole of Bethlehem, as it were, was rejoicing, David knew the Lord as his shepherd David knew that even though the elders and everyone else were having fun and feasting and I'm on my own on the side of the mountain, I can know that the Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack nothing, he says. That could be true for you this morning. I don't know where you may be. I know it has been true for me and for my dear Kim for many, many months. I know that we have lacked nothing. Why? Because God has been my shepherd. I like what Isaiah says. He says this. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I have engraven you on the palms of my hands. Ow, God says that. 
Though a mother who looks after her baby, she might forget her child. It seems impossible for a mother to forget the child that she's caring for. But even if she does, God says, I will never forget you. No, 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 no. I love you so much that your names are constantly before me. I've engraven them on my hands. Praise be to God. Being known. So the psalm opens up with this wonderful word. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in one. Let's go on to the second thing. And I've only got two things to say. This is my last point I'm going to make this morning. Being caught. Look what the verse says here. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Let's move on to David's life. You know, David's no longer a shepherd boy. He's a powerful king. And he is in Israel as a powerful king. Everything, he has everything. He has his, his kingdom, he has his family, he has everything he wants. And we find him as a powerful king. What do we find this powerful king doing? I'll tell you what we find him doing. We find him doing nothing. He has everything going for him. All the desires of his heart. Everything going for him. What do we find him doing? We find him doing nothing. Except walking on the roof of his house. Can't walk on our flat roof because you'll fall through it. But walking on the flat roof of his house, that is what he was doing. Let me tell you something. A Christian who is doing nothing is easy prey for the devil and his demons. I'll say that again. A Christian who is doing nothing is easy prey for Satan. And his demons. A Christian who is not praying, who is not reading his word, who is not serving, a Christian who does not come to church and look around and say, Who can I encourage? Who can I speak to? That's a new face. Let me get to know that man or that woman. A Christian who does nothing is pray for the enemy. You can be assured that Satan loves Christians with nothing to do. I'm amazed because I have friends who are older than me. Two of them, one of them is 92. Some of you know him, Eric Vetters. He's still trying to do Bible studies at 92, round his house. Not only that, you know, my dear friend Helen Muggeridge, she's over there. She's over 90 years old. And she comes to church looking to hug somebody and encourage somebody and love somebody. And she's 92 years of age. We go around her house, she's got a pile of books that she said, I read every morning my Bible study. I want to tell you something. Let age not deter you. A Christian who is not busy is easy prey 
for the devil to come in and to wreck your life. Let me show you how he does it. Here's David. He's walking on the roof of his house. He's a king. God has blessed him. God has given him everything he needs. And he's walking on the roof of his house. And we read that one evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. Stop right there. Surely this godly man turned away. Surely he saw a woman bathing and he said, I must not look. I have my wife and my children and I will turn away from her. Surely that man did that. But the Bible tells me that David did not turn away. In fact, those of you who know the story, he called a woman to his own palace and he slept with her. That woman, some commentator said that he didn't just sleep with her once, could be a number of times. That woman was a wife of somebody else. And he slept with her and she became pregnant. And so David decided to kill her husband and marry her himself. I want you to tell you, I want to show you the end. What God, what, what the conclusion of this, 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 this story. Look what it says. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. You know, we live in a day where many people do not even know what sin is. Oh, there's some things that still shock us. Some things. Like that 15-year-old girl who killed that 7-year-old girl. Oh, that still shock us. But other things that we hear about, we don't even blink anymore. Adultery. Lying, stealing, swearing, rage, anger, sleeping around with your partner or your girlfriend, sleeping around. All these things don't shock us anymore. Don't even make our eyes blink. But all that doesn't count, we say. It doesn't really matter. But listen to what God is saying here. David, your sin displeases me. Listen to the word of God when God cries out and he says, the wages of sin is death. I want to tell you this morning, it doesn't matter if you're a liar or a murderer, you will still end up in the same place. Let me tell you that this morning. Don't go grading sin. Don't go and say, oh well, that is really bad and that is even worse. No, no, no. Don't go grading sin because the Bible says the liar will end up with a murderer in the same place. We need, as a church, to take sin far more seriously. We need to be more uncomfortable with sin. We need to begin to hate it, despise it, and reject it anywhere it finds in our life. We need to say, I can't have it with me. That's how we need to deal with it. Because God said to David, David, what you have done has displeased me. David, you're the man. David, you are guilty. David, you're an adulterer. David, you're a liar. 
David, you're a murderer. David, I am against you, says the Lord. Well, how did David respond? Well, let's follow him, shall we? Let's follow him. We see him here. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground. But he refused and he would not eat any food with them. We find him in the Psalms. Verse 6, chapter 6. I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. We find him in Psalm 51. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. This man has been crushed by his sin. This man has been broken by his sin. This man has a true brokenness in his heart. It's not like, oh, I've sinned, doesn't really matter, I'll just go on and do something else. No, 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 no. This man is broken. This man is crushed. This man is weeping. This man can't eat. He cries out to God and he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Oh God, he says, I am crushed. I am ruined because of my wickedness. He needs help. He needs restoration. He needs to be restored. Who can he turn to? Where can he go? How can he get that restoration that he longs for? Well, Psalm 23 comes in. And he cries out, the Lord's my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. Yes. David is restored by God. In fact, he says over in Psalm, he said again, he says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. This is a man who truly comes to God with brokenness. Pleading that God will restore him. I want to tell you this morning. When a man or woman come to the Lord like this. When a man or woman comes pleading that God will forgive them because of the blood of Christ. I don't care what you have done. Your heart, your relationship with God can and will be restored. Wow. Some people go around saying, I'm too much of a bad sinner. I can't ever come back to the Lord. But you come back to the Lord like David. You turn around and you say, oh yes, what I've done was evil. 
what I've done was wicked. I deserved to be completely cut off, oh God. I have nowhere to turn because of my sin. But oh God, if I come to you and say to you, oh Lord, forgive me, the Lord will forgive you. Phil mentioned Judas Iscariot this morning. I'm convinced, I'm convinced if Judas Iscariot had gone to Jesus and took his silver and said, Jesus, I've done wrong. Look, I got the silver for betraying you. I've done wrong. Will you forgive me? I guarantee you, Jesus would have said, yes, my son, you're forgiven. He went to the wrong place. He went to the religious men. He went to the temple. He went to the Pharisees. He did not go to Christ. Where are you going this morning? Are you coming to a religious service? Sitting around with religious people? That won't help you. You need to go to Christ. And when you go to him, there's full forgiveness and love and restoration. Let me close with this final Psalm 51. Look what he says here. He says, you do not delight in sacrifices or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, oh Lord, you will not despise. Oh God, may God give us that same spirit. May he give us a real sense, oh, that it's not arrogance I'm coming to God, but I come as a man who's broken. I'm coming as a man who needs to know the forgiveness of God. I'm coming to a man who truly has put sin to one side and want the strength to say no another time. I'm coming to a God who will forgive me cleanse me, wash me, pardon me, and bring rejoicing back into my life. Psalm 23. Who is it for? It's for you, if you're a child of God. Psalm 23. Who is it for? It's for you, if you're a born-again believer this morning. For only you can say, the Lord is my I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. That's what God is in the business about. He wants to restore your soul today and bring you into a closer, warmer, tighter relationship with him. Draw near to him this morning as we pray. Oh God, thank you for Psalm 23. And as we look at it through the next few weeks, Lord, may we step into it ourselves. And may we be able to cry out with David that you belong to me. I don't just know about you, but I know you. Don't know just things about you, but I know your care for me. Lord, I pray that you will bring many here into that closer walk with you. Thank you for the songwriter who cries out, Oh, oh, for a closer walk with you. Oh God, I pray. That a cry may go out from this church this morning. 
Every heart will cry out. Every young and old person will cry out. And they will say, oh, for a closer walk with you. May that be our cry, oh God. That we may leave this place blessing you and praising you for your love and your mercy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand. Stand.